0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDSE.
1: Hello, Husker fans. Welcome to episode 192 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. I'm Mike Harvat. In today's episode, we welcome back Kyle Jones of 11 Warriors to preview Nebraska's Halloween matchup with Ohio State. You can find us on the web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at HuskerPod or email us at huskerpod at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their website for the latest deals at cnbuffalo.com. Also brought to you by Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Looking to buy or sell a home in Lincoln or know someone who does? Hit up Monty at 402-770-3356. we are super excited to welcome Kyle Jones back to the show.
0: Kyle is a scheme writer at 11 Warriors. Uh, Kyle, really excited to talk to you again. Welcome back. Right, thanks for having me on, Justin. It's good to be back. Uh, as I was just saying to you a second ago, we had a lot of great feedback on, on your episode last year and have uh, really benefited from, from having you on the show a number of years now. So uh, let's, uh, let's start with last year. I feel like a year ago when you and I talked, you were pretty high on Ohio State. I came into the conversation thinking you might be moderately high, but you were—you were really confident. And I don't know if you might have still underestimated what the team's was potential was. But I know when they came to Nebraska, um, the beat reporters who we read said it was one of the best-looking teams they'd ever seen. Um, so, um, how do you feel that you didn't win a national championship? <laughs>
2: Um, well, I mean, I, was was on the team last year. It was obvious how much talent was coming back. You know, I think people, the, the Nick Bosa departure and the, um, the, just the, the kind of craziness of the 2018 season for us, you know, frustrating and wild and, and not usually in a good way as the 2018 team was for Ohio state. If you remember that was, Dwayne Haskins chucking the ball sometimes seventy times a game, while Greg Schiano's defense was giving up touchdown after touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was it was definitely a you know for a team that went eleven and two, it was definitely one of the more frustrating years. And a lot of that, of course, had to do with the off the field stuff with first Zach Smith and then Urban Meyer's involvement on it, and then Urban leaving and retiring for the program. And you know, it just felt like. You know, that, well, that clouded the fact that Ohio State was returning a really talented team. You know, yes, Nick Boso was gone, but you still had Chase Young, who, you know, I think some people outside of Columbus didn't quite realize how, just how good he was, and Jeff Okuda, and all these guys now that, you know, were huge names last season. Um, but I think the question mark, there were two good question marks that I still had, at least, which was, one, just how good is Justin Fields going to be? Um, mm-hmm. Turns out pretty good. Yep. Uh, um, and then the much bigger question was, how's that defense going to recover? And they did a total 180 from being this, you know, unit that was just gashed over and over by long runs and gave up big plays and just never seemed to be, you know, lined up right um, for for about two or three years. Honestly, this was a as fundamentally sound. They never gave they never got beat. You know, teams had to really, really work hard just to score any points. Um, it was rare the, when they made a mistake that, you know, really hurt them. Um, and I think that was kind of a pleasant surprise for Buckeye fans. You know, I think a lot of a lot of us expected the team to be better, but to be that good, to be the yeah. top defense in the nation, yeah. I didn't think anybody expected that.
0: So, uh-huh. so uh yeah, tough, tough way to end the season. Um, perfect, perfect regular season. And then um, wide receiver goes left instead of right. I mean. Yeah,
2: yeah it was uh, I, that that game against Clemson. So I, I'm probably in the minority here in that um, as someone who you typically, you know, as an Ohio State alum, I try to be as you know um, objective as possible when reviewing the film and everything that game was an absolute, piece of art and and i mean that like that was two really 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 good teams playing at a really really high level just trading punches back and forth and i mean you had you know two of the three best quarterbacks in the country um you know squaring off and both playing really well you had a lot of guys all over the field all the stars stepped up you know isaiah simmons played really well for for clemson Trevor Lawrence obviously played well. Travis Etienne, the receivers, those guys all stepped up, but so did Ohio State's guys. And you know, I think it's less of even that pick at the very end of the game that will get most Ohio State fans really worked up. It's it's the Sean Wade targeting penalty that mm, that ejected right. that, that got him ejected, and then the overturned fumble scoop and score, yes, uh, which I think was in the third quarter. Like those two plays, I mean, there there are still you don't, you can just barely mention that game and Ohio state fans will just start r- railing on about the officiating and it's very clearly still a touchy subject, but I think what's in the middle of all that was, that was just an unbelievable game where, yeah, it was unfortunate that the officiating played such a, a big part of it, but, you know, Ohio state, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they, they showed their metal and, you know, it also shows how sometimes you just need luck to win championships you know sure. you just need breaks yeah. to go your way and sometimes it happens sometimes it doesn't i'm sure there's plenty of alabama fans that feel the same way over the last you know decade where you know they they could probably tell you every year one or two things happen a different way and they could be the national champion in those years that they they didn't actually win
0: it so Kyle, wow, that's generous of you. I don't think an Alabama fan will ever acknowledge luck that happened in their favor. <laughs> and my experience on Twitter, which is not a good representation of humanity, they will never admit luck was a factor. <laughs> like Texas's quarterback going down at the beginning of the game, not lucky. Uh, the, so, the
2: Saban did have that in the game plan, I'm sure. Yeah. To get Garrett Gilbert in there. That's, I
0: mean, that's generous of you, and you sounds like you have a healthy uh, outlook on life. <laughs> so good for you. Um, okay, so, you know, you – Coming into the new season now, uh, you have a bunch of guys drafted again. Um, Tell me – and this is hard without spring practice. Did, did Ohio State have any pra- any spring practices, by the way?
2: I believe there were a few, okay. um, a handful. I don't believe the media really got to see much more no. than stretching, though.
0: Okay. No, yeah, I don't nothing. even know if
2: they actually had any practices with pads on, to be honest with you. Nothing substantial. If they did, it was yeah. minimal.
0: I think yeah. the Huskers had one with helmet and then one half rack, uh, and that was it. Uh, so, okay, so acknowledging that, um, what do you see as strengths and weaknesses of this team? Uh, like, who, who's back? Who left? Yep. Talk to me.
2: So – the, the biggest strength without question is the passing game for this offense. Not only is Justin Fields back, you know, a Heisman finalist who statistically had the best year a Buckeye quarterback has ever had with the exception of Dwayne Haskins in 2018. And I've actually made the argument myself, that I think he did even more given his ability to, to move the football with his feet too. you know, that dual threat. Sure. Does so much more for the Ohio State offense than Haskins's, you know, limited mobility did. And so you have you have you have not only have Justin Fields coming back, you have, um, an, you know, at least three starters on the offensive line. And the reason I say at least um, is it depends on how you count the tight ends in that in that equation. Um, you know, you've got an all an all American guard and Wyatt Davis, a very good center, um, and, and uh, Josh Myers. Good left tackle in Thayer Munford, and then given the machine of recruiting that Ohio State's had over the last few years, you've got a number of different five-star, you know, blue-chip talented uh, kids trying to play uh, the, on the right side. Um, both, you know, you've got guys like Nicholas Petitfrere, and um, Petitfrere, who is a uh, huge right tackle. You have DeJuan, DeJuan Jones, who is a six-foot-nine basketball star in Indiana. Wow who, um, well, most people, you know, he's a three-star prospect, showed up on campus and didn't even redshirt as a tackle um, because they are just so – they're convinced that this is a three-year and out type player because he is just that athletic and that gigantic. So he wow. could be there at right tackle. Um, and then, you, you know, Gavin Cupp's a fifth-year senior who's um, paid his dues as a backup. He's probably the right guard. So you've got a, a, a talented, gigantic <laughs> offensive line – um, and then you've got two returning starters at tight end, um, Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert. Um, Ruckert's probably the better receiver, but it's not as much of a stretch as people think. Um, and, you know, so you've got all these guys up front, which should help not only protect fields in the passing game, where he's got two studs um, out on the edges Chris Olave, who a lot of people know. Um, he really, you know, burst on the scene last year, um, and then who's going to be a junior. And then you have Garrett Wilson, who was. A true freshman last year, and really, really came on the back part of the season. Um, made a bunch of big plays against Michigan. Um, you know, made a, a couple of plays in the Fiesta Bowl. Really just showed you, he was a five star, uh, a five star receiver, I believe, out uh, of Austin, Texas. Um, and you know, this is just a kid who's going to be there for three years and out. You know, there's, there's, this, this seems to be a pretty big trend for the Ohio State is have. You know, they get these, they're, they're able to get this talent in that is you're here for a short time. We're going to put you on the field and take advantage of you. Even if maybe we thought, you know, you could use a year of seasoning. They all recognize that these kids are NFL bound sooner rather than later. So they're just going to get them on the field and following those two guys, you've got a handful of, I believe they had four top 100 receivers coming in this year. Um, Julian Fleming, yeah, Jackson Smith and Jigba is like, – those are the two guys who are probably going to get the most playing time. Those are both top ten in, in the country, not at receiver, but period. Oh. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> it's talent on talent on talent. So, the passing game, if, to say that that's a strength is an understatement um, for Ohio State. Uh, the question is what happens at running back. And, you know, we've seen what happens with Ohio State when they don't have the balance attack. A couple years ago, it was because, you know, everyone could key on – Uh, J.K. Dobbins and and Mike Weber and it really shut those two guys down because Dwayne Haskins did not provide a threat to run. This year you've still got Justin Fields but you've also got no real proven established threat at running back. Um, They do get a a boost with Trey Sermon who had been at Oklahoma a grad transfer who's uh, coming in for his final year of eligibility though he's coming off an knee injury. This is a guy who's played a lot of football. He's scored touchdown a touchdown in Ohio Stadium back in that game in 2017 where Baker Mayfield um, upset the Buckeyes in, oh, in the yeah. horseshoe. Yeah, um, he was a young player then, actually found the end zone. So it's a little bit um, a, a kind of a unique twist of fate that he is now going to be wearing the scarlet and gray. Um, but behind him, you've got a couple guys, Master Teague, Marcus Crowley, um, that are coming off injuries. And so those are both sophomores. Teague played a lot last year, but, um, uh, towards Achilles in the winter. Um, and that's, you know, he's supposed to be healthy by the beginning of the season, but unclear. So, you know, you might have a running back, a running back room with one, not a lot of experience or at least not experience in this offense, um, and behind this offensive line. Um, and two, that just isn't that healthy. And so I think, yes, that means this offense is going to rely a lot on throwing the football, but, um, you know, eventually they're going to have to run the ball. One of the keys to this offense and why it was so successful last year was that balance and that they could just pound and pound and pound you with J.K. Dobbins until Justin Fields was ready to beat you over the top with play action to one of these talented receivers. Um, you know, that that recipe doesn't work as well when you can't set up with the run to begin with. So I think that's, that's really the positives in the and but also the the negatives that um, from what the talent is coming back you know JK dobbins probably um, was underappreciated by Ohio state fans and you know he might not fully be recognized for how good he was until he's gone um, and this fall everyone will say wow we really I really wish we still had JK um, but you never know
0: well all right um so so all that being said what uh what do you think this team's capable of this coming season let me pull up the the schedule while I, while I ask that mm-hmm We've got uh, Bowling Green. Of course, does the game at Oregon happen is a big question. Host uh, Buffalo, Rutgers, Iowa, go to Michigan State, Penn State. Host Nebraska on Halloween, which is terrifying. Followed by Indiana, go to Maryland, Illinois, uh, finish with the game hosting Michigan. So yep. what, what do you see happening here?
2: I, I mean, the big, the big question mark, really, if you look at that schedule – Um, obviously the Michigan game is a big one. Obviously the Oregon game is a big one. Um, I think the game, if you ask most Ohio state fans, what are you most afraid of? It's that Penn state game. Um, and that's simply the unknowns. This is, if there's ever been a year to play at Penn state, this might be it. Um, yeah, they're most likely it'll be a noon kick and Ohio state finally won't have to play a night game in happy Valley for the Mm -hmm. first time in what feels like forever. Um, you know, they've, they've been holding those whiteouts for the Buckeyes for as many years as I can remember now, um, you know, going back to Troy Smith, they've been doing this. So, uh, you know, that that's one that I think no Ohio State fans totally comfortable with. Um, you know, the Michigan game, I you know, we could have a whole podcast just about the Ohio State-Michigan
0: rivalry, of <laughs>
2: yeah. course. Is it still rivalry? Um, uh,
0: how long has it been since Michigan's <laughs> won?
2: It's been since 2011, which was when Luke Fickle had that um, – had that kind of intermediate interim year before. That's the last Miami time Nebraska
0: beat Ohio State too.
2: Yes, exactly right. Um and but granted, I think there've been some years off in between for Nebraska <laughs> whereas Michigan true. gets, that's <laughs> true. gets it every year.
0: Every year. Uh
2: yeah. And so I, I think there's um I think that's Michigan's got a good program, but you know, I think as I said that the talent level right now that Ohio State has is really at just such an elite mm-hmm. tier with really just Clemson and Alabama. And there's a number of, you know, stats that come out, whether it's from recruiting stars or, you know, draft picks or, you know, offensive output or whatever. However you show it up, it really seems as if Ohio State's in that tier with Alabama and Clemson across the board from a talent perspective. And Michigan's always in the top 10, just not in the same tier. And Penn State's right there as well. The difference is the world revolves around the Michigan game in Columbus – Whereas it doesn't, you know, the Penn state game doesn't have that same level of of importance, even if, you know, when it comes to the actual game itself, it might be just as as tough a matchup. And so that's, I think why part of the reason Penn state's caught Ohio state a couple times this decade is uh, you know, there just isn't that same maybe level of focus. Whereas, you know, Michigan has Ohio state's focus 365 days a year. Mm -hmm. So um, I, th- I think as as Ohio State fans look at the schedule, they're probably more confident about the Michigan game because it's at home. Penn State game on the road. The Oregon game is obviously the most interesting one. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the last time these two teams, you know, they played two times in the last decade. One of which was the Rose Bowl in 2010 with Terrell Pryor, um, and you know, Ohio State came away victorious and a great game there. Um, but then again, obviously, most fans remember the national championship in 2014 where Ohio State really just kind of steamrolled Marcus Mariota, Um, you know, it was a pretty clear talent disparity between the two sides as the second half wore on. Um, You know, I think Ohio state fans are curious to see what this new Oregon looks like, given that Mario Cristobal is trying to make them, you know, a a power team. They're going to run, run you right over all day and then hit you with play action similar to Ohio state's mentality. So, you know, they've got the best offensive lineman in America and Panay Sewell that ought to be a fun matchup to watch him against uh, Ohio State's defensive line, which has some of its own questions after losing not only Chase Young, but Davin Hamilton and Jay Sean Cornell. And uh, you know, So, losing three starters up front, there's obviously talent behind it. But, you know, there isn't a Bosa brother or Chase Young necessarily waiting in the wings as far as Ohio State can tell, gotcha. um, at least right away, maybe down the road with some of these guys. But
0: um, they're going to have to grow up real fast if they make that trip to Eugene. Well, I know – most of the college football world's kind of holding their breaths, making sure, hoping that that happens. Um, kind of winding it down a little bit. We, we talked to our friends at the eyes on big podcast earlier this spring and they asked, they had a few questions that I wanted to pass on. The first was how about replacing JK Dobbins, which you already spoke to. Um, but uh, I'm curious to hear more, like what's the backup quarterback situation going to be? It's mm-hmm. a great call. Um, so as of right now, it looks like it's going to be Gunnar
2: Hope who, um, you know, was a – he had been at Kentucky, um, you know, not a super highly regarded recruit, um, but a kid who was from Columbus. Um, his family had ties to the team and to the university. Um, he obviously grew up a big Buckeye fan. He graduated in three years from Kentucky, grad transferred last year to be a backup. So he knows the system very well. Um, and He's in his final year. So, it, you know, if something happens in that, those first few weeks – you got to imagine Gunnar hokes probably the one they're going to turn the keys over to just because of his, you know, his, his age and tenure and and familiarity with the system. But the future is the two freshman quarterbacks that are coming in, Jack Miller and and CJ Stroud. Um, I believe both were four-star prospects. Um, it was odd that they took two quarterbacks in one class. Um, hmm. They didn't have one last year. Um, so, you know, there's a question, well, one of, you know, there's a likelihood that one red shirts, although given the way, QB you know the QB market is these days you know Ohio State's certainly no no stranger to the way that the transfer system can 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 play out um you know both being the loser with uh Joe Burrow and the winner with Justin Fields (laughs) yeah so you know kind of a unique system there but you know there's a, a decent chance that one of those guys doesn't finish their career in Columbus and you know we'll see what happens um but, you know, down the road, they might decide as the season goes on that one of those guys um, becomes the heir apparent and they kind of hand over the reins as the season goes on. But that first, first part of the season, especially if there's limited practice time, Gunnar Hope will, will absolutely be the backup,
0: I would imagine. Uh, so they have one more question. You just made me think of a follow-up question, which I will ask in a moment. But their other question was, who's the next Akuda? Great
2: question. So Sean
0: Wade is the, the clear air apparent. Um, this was a guy who
2: came in, he's a senior or he's a redshirt junior. I'm sorry. This year, um, came in with the same class as Okuda. Um, and actually, you know, he, he tra- tried to get playing time early on in his career and, and kind of rotated in, uh, and, you know, just couldn't seem to break beyond Damon Arnett and Okuda who, you know, turns out both first team yeah, you know, draft picks pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. <laughs> um, um but, uh, you know, he, he was a really high-regarded cornerback prospect coming out of high school. But this past year, he actually played kind of a unique role. You know, Ohio State played this kind of old-school, cover-three defense without a strong safety. And, and Sean Wade effectively played strong safety for Ohio State last year, which sounds strange hmm. because he was listed as the nickel corner. And, you, know, he, you know, if there was a slot receiver, he was lined up over the slot receiver inside of Okuda or Arnett. And if they played man coverage, he was playing one on one with that slot receiver, which is you know not usually an easy task. But if they were in zone, he was dropping into a, a curl flat zone there on the side. He wasn't run deep with receivers, and you know he was essentially playing the role of an old school strong safety, hmm. um, and he did it very well. I mean, he was he was a, a huge part of that defense. I don't, he re- almost never came off the field. Um, you know, start, he, as I said, he was in the starting eleven, and you know, obviously, he was still there in nickel packages as well. Um, so this year though, they, in, in an effort, I think to get him, you know, to help him advance his career, they know it's going to be, he's got to show the NFL scouts that he can be that lockdown outside corner. And so they're essentially giving him that, that job right now and saying, you've got a starting cornerback job. He'll probably be a captain of the team. And then it's between, um, two, two younger corners, uh, a guy named seven banks and another guy named Cameron Brown. Both of them played a good amount last year, um, you know, backing up. You know, they didn't see a ton of time given the talent in front of them. But, um, you know, they, there were a couple games where, you know, players were ejected for helmet-to-helmet hits or, um, you know, just some blowouts where these guys got a lot of playing time. And um, they're going to be juniors, true juniors. And, you know, there's a lot of expectations that they'll they'll be there. The, the real question in the secondary, though, um, not you got me talking about it, is what happens at free safety. Okay. Um, Jordan Fuller is a guy who had been a three-year starter. You know, he made a bunch of big plays, including against Nebraska. So I'd imagine a number of Husker fans remember that name.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, a couple of different times he made some big plays in Lincoln. Um, he finally uh, moved on to the NFL. He graduated this year. Um, but, the the two guys looking to replace him, a guy named Josh Proctor, and then a guy named Marcus Hooker, who you know, the name might sound familiar because he is the younger brother of Malik Hooker, who is of course... An all-American free safety at Ohio State a few years back, um, those two are competing for that free safety, and it's it's a true kind of center fielder job. This is not one of these hybrid safeties that drops down in the box here and there and does a bunch of different things. This is a guy who they want patrol center field, watch the quarterback, go go make a play in the middle of the field, hmm. deep ball. Um, that's what they had Jordan Fuller doing last year, um, but that doesn't you know it, neither neither Proctor or Hooker have really shown when they've had to, that they're necessarily all that ready. Um, Proctor saw a lot of playing time in the, in the Fiesta Bowl against Clemson when Sean Wade was ejected. And, um, you know, this just speaks to how good of a team Clemson is that they went right at him and, um, you know, they caught him with a couple mistakes and that, that helped turn the game back in their favor. So, you know, he's got a lot of pressure on him, Josh Proctor to, to step up. He'll certainly have the opportunity to play, but, um, Remains to be seen whether he or Marcus Hooker are able to to win the job, and um, you know, if so, if that becomes a strength, the way it was with uh, with Jordan Fuller over the
0: last few years, it'll be interesting to see. You, you mentioned Joe Burrow earlier. Um, what was that like for What was last season like for Buckeye fans to watch his success down there?
2: Um, I think I, I I really think almost everyone um, in Columbus was rooting for him. I mean, if there were – there might have been a handful that, you know, for whatever reason, Ohio State and LSU squared off years back in, you know, 2008. And I think maybe there were a few that still kind of lingered or that, you know, lingered that, that hate for the SEC or just, you know, are so tired of seeing the SEC succeed in general that maybe they, there was some animosity there. But I think for the most part, um, you know, Joe Burrow always represented the team well. He's an Ohio kid, played high school football in Ohio – um, you know, outspoken fan of a number of the pro teams in Ohio. Uh, you, know, he, you know, he was very, very uh, audible in his support of the Cavs, for instance, during the LeBron era. And I, I think that endeared him to a lot of Ohio State fans. He never did anything that made us, uh, made, made, you know, fans of the team, you know, think anything less than him, of him. And, um, you know, I think there was also too, everyone understood why, he was sure. living, yeah. you know, you know, it wasn't as if we, we, you know, Ohio state fans were spurned lovers in this situation. It was obvious, you know, you know, he got, he suffered a hand injury in 2017 um, and put him behind the, and put him behind Dwayne Haskins on the depth chart. You know, that's basically what happened. They were neck and neck behind JT Barrett to be um, the backup quarterback that year. And um, I think Joe broke his hand or broke his wrist in training camp. And that allowed Haskins to get more reps and more playing time. And, that really kind of did it. That set the tone for for everything that was to come. Ohio state fans were upset about it because Dwayne Haskins obviously went on to have an unbelievable year. Um, if Joe Burrow doesn't leave and you don't get Justin Fields. And so, you know, I think when you think about it, when you think about the addition by subtraction, you say, oh, Ohio state lost Joe Burrow for two years, but they gained three years of Haskins and Fields. And so I think in the long run, you know, Ohio State fans have very little to complain about. And, you know, he got his degree as an Ohio State alum. I think people want to see him succeed, especially now, too, see him stay in state and play for a team that half the fans root for. I think that's, you know, it's a great story that people, people genuinely were
0: happy to see him do as well as he did. That's really cool. An irony in this discussion, and I don't know if you're – if you followed this, is just Nebraska did not recruit Burrow initially. or Or with the uh, transfer and, you know, Frost – Asked the question, is you better than what we got? You didn't know. And I feel like mm-hmm. Nebraska, because we didn't have the obvious better right. player like Ohio State did, Ohio, Nebraska, is her, for us in particular, there's so much grief over Joe Burrow that <laughs> it's almost like a sore subject for me than it is for you. It is. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I understand that. And, and look,
2: I, I've had a lot of people that didn't follow – that don't follow college football as closely ask me, you know, knowing like, how did Ohio State let Joe Burrow slip away? You know, there was a very famous Colin Coward interviewed uh, Urban Meyer this past year as, you know, Burrow's out there setting records. And, you know, he asked Urban Meyer, you know, how did you let that guy out of Ohio? He said, well, we had him on the team for three years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We didn't let him, you know, we didn't miss him. But the reality was, is it's not like Joe Burrow, you know, showed clear flashes of, Hall of Fame, you know, or or what was to come, even the first year in LSU, the first year in in Baton Rouge, I think he had 16 touchdowns and nine picks or something like that. I mean, it was not exactly – he didn't exactly set the world on fire in the first season. And so, you know, I think everyone saw him do really well. That Texas game, you know, would would really kind of put that team on the map early in the year. I think you saw a lot of Ohio State fans, you know, really happy for him, but also at the same time realizing, wait a minute, Hmm. this could be (laughs) – This could this could come up and be a be a problem down the road.
0: Well fortunately, maybe one way to look at it, fortunately you didn't have to actually play against him, so there was no you don't have to have any ill will towards him heading through and uh, so that that maybe for for the relationship between Joe Burrow and Ohio State it ended as well as it could.
2: Yeah, I think I think a lot of fans too, if anyone was confused about it, I think the the Heisman ceremony um really showed a lot not necessarily in that um you know whether fields or you know fields and and he had never played together chase young only spent one year playing with him in columbus um and ryan day was only with him for one year but i think the person you could tell was mickey marati who is the strength coach for ohio state and has been the strength coach ever since 2012 um and that's a guy who's really really the heartbeat of the whole team i know there's a lot of focus um on um, strength coaches, right now we're recording this right after everything's come out about Iowa, mm-hmm. and um, you know I, I, I think this Mickey Moradi is as, as close and as, as important part of the the program. And you could see the way that he and Joe Burrow connected after he was, you know, after his name was announced and the the, the hug and the embrace that they had, and the way that Joe Burrow thanked Mickey Marathi, I think that showed a lot of people what you know, that connection was all about and what Ohio state had met to Joe Burrow, and vice versa.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. It's a, that's a great spot to end it. So um, (laughs) on that note, um, where can our listeners find the uh, content that you're putting out about Ohio state?
2: Uh, So it's 11 warriors.com. We are an Ohio state dedicated uh, site that covers all, not just Buckeye football, but all Ohio state sports um i write a column called film study It comes out every monday um you know certainly during the season it's game reviews and you know maybe looking ahead to what's coming in the season and then in the off season um it's definitely more stepping back and trying to understand the x's and o's and how justin field is able to, to connect on these deep passes and what makes the offensive line so good things like that
0: awesome and you're uh at jones on twitter that's right all right easy one to remember well, great. Hey, Kyle, great talking to you again. Um, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. All right. Thanks, Justin. Good talking to you. Take care.
1: Thanks again to Mr. Jones for joining us on the podcast and many thanks to our sponsors. Just yesterday, I saw a note from central Nebraska Buffalo that says they have bison steak back in stock. So if you've been dragging your feet on giving it a try, now is the time. It was just about a year ago that I was first introduced to Central Nebraska Buffalo by way of one of their bison steaks, as it turns out. And I can verify that it's delicious. I'm normally the kind of guy who likes to drown my plate in steak sauce, but I ate this thing without adding anything to it. It's that good. Go to cnbuffalo.com to order a few for you and your family. And likewise, if you've also been dragging your feet on reaching out to Monty Rohde of Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln, today is the day to pick up your phone and give him a call at 402-770-3356. You can also email him at monty.rodie@prglincoln.com, at prglincoln.com, and Rohde is spelled R-O-H-D-E. I'm pretty sure I saw something on the news this past week that said that last month was one of the busiest months we've had for real estate sales all year, so if there was ever a lull, it looks like things are picking back up. And in the midst of all the craziness right now, it's a good idea to have somebody who's trustworthy and knowledgeable on your side, and that's Monty Rohde. So make it happen, folks. Lastly, for those of you who are missing the sultry tones of Justin's voice in these outros, I have good news! He's going to be back next week. Believe it or not, we still have four preview episodes to go, and then we can start getting ready for the season to start. (laughs) Knock on wood, right? Okay, folks, have a great week. Stay healthy, wear your mask, and go Big Red.